Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, Foundations of Finance, and welcome to class. Uh, as I, in this first week, I have some territory that I have to cover, just administrative or whatever, and showing you some websites that will be of use to you. As I had told you, I podcast all of my lectures, and they are available on my own private website as well as on, at uh, Apple iTunes. Now, the first lecture, lecture one, is now posted, and let me give you a look at that here so that you can see as, uh, whichever section you're in. You have the lecture, it's in its entirety from beginning to end. And then I'm, I'm always, always a little afraid to go over and see if Apple is still taking my podcast. But this is yours, and you can just click on it right there on that highlight, and it will play right there in your original player, in your own native player. Anyway, and it plays on, this is introduction that you do for the professional stuff that Apple likes to have. And then it goes right into the lecture. Now that's there for you. And again, you can go over to Apple iTunes. Now, the spiders should have picked up. Well, look at that, they have. Now these are the ones from last semester. They they run on the t front on the front cover, the last I think ten lectures or something. So the first two for your class and the other class are up there now, and you can just click them there. If, like I said, if you don't want to be on my own creepy ass website, by all means come over here and you can listen to them. And uh, it's obviously sub the subscription is free to my podcasts. So enjoy those. And this is a great learning thing if you have the time to go back through and listen, and especially if you miss a class, this is about the only way you're going to be able to get the original content that was in the lecture. The only problem, of course, is you don't get anything that I write on the board or I show on the overhead. So it's still there, and I've been doing this for, uh, I just went back, I said, 15 years, and it was actually 16 years ago I started doing these podcasts. So there are thousands of these lectures. And if you go back to my website, you can actually go back to another class all these years back, and you can click and you'll get the whole uh, semester. And you can go to one subject. Well, let me see what he said about bonds. 
in 2012, back when he didn't have dementia or something like that. So you can go back and listen to other uh, semesters of lectures as well. Just to get, I, and I do vary the content. My jokes are always the same, for God's sake, so uh, don't hate. Uh, but the content does sort of change over time and tries to stay with the currency. And of course, if you uh, do join me on LinkedIn if you want. And I also have uh, my professional, from my other world as a professional artist and photographer, I have videos on uh, Vimeo and YouTube has demonetized me because they said that my artwork and my music are stolen or they suspect they are. Of course, they found them on other websites because I advertise there, but that's that. And if you want to see my work, uh, my own work as a uh, professional, you can go to Amazon.com and see my artwork that I sell there. And I do, as I said, make a thing about showing my work in uh, uh, using my own financial uh, financial statements and the experience of being a consultant and being a business owner in this class. And if you want to see what we're doing, what I'm doing in the uh, online social media world with my work, you can go and watch a virtual exhibition of my work that was coded and uh, done about a year ago with my international team. But anyway, that's all there. And also the scrolling marquee. Sometimes I'll put something up there, I'll link to some interesting outside resource or something about I've been injured catastrophically or I've finally been taken out by my enemies. And so that'll be there. And then assignments, this is just, you know, we're in chapter one. So anyway, that's all there for you. And I do this because I love you so much. Uh, or not. Uh, okay, now, going to the business of the business, uh, for the day, we start with a look at the numbers. We always start with the numbers, and I try my best to get you to become animals at investment. So, madam, is what kind of a day is this on the street? Look at these, look at those, that strip of numbers up there. Is it a good day or a bad day? Okay. Uh, be emphatic. No, it's, it's, it's a good day. Now, what do we call an up day. What kind of a day is it? It is a, no, 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 not bull. It's bull, okay? <laughs> you gotta say bull, you, you know, be emphatic about it. And as a matter of fact, I'm gonna have a guest speaker in on Monday of next week uh, talking about bull and bear markets for a little bit. I guarantee you, you've never had anything like this happen in a class before, what's gonna happen? As a matter of fact, it ended up on Barstool Birds last year, for God's sake. Boy, that was awkward when the dean found out. Uh, anyway, this is a bold day, and it's a strong bold day. Now, for me, that sucks.com, because I was in a bare position, and I have lost, not my shirt, I've lost anatomical parts, starting with my ass, because I was taking a bare position, and this stupid market decided to go bold today, uh, I mean, this is a hard bull. Now, notice those percentages. Dow 30. That's 30 of the largest companies on Earth. It's an index. It's not an exchange. It's just a theoretical portfolio of 30 ginormous companies of the Earth. And that is up a half a percent. The S&P 500, a riskier portfolio of very large corporations, is up more, 1.14%. And then the NASDAQ, 
the small, high-risk scrappers, fighters of the uh, corporate world, they're up even more, 1.72, one and three quarters percent. That is not unusual. You see the higher the risk, the more reactive, the more volatile the securities are. In a down market, the Dow would just sit there, something happening, and then the S&P 500 would be down more, and the NASDAQ would be plummeting off the face of the earth, probably. Not really, not always. A couple of terms just to give you a, a heads up. And like I said, I fill you with all these words and terms that are not in the textbook. Well, some of them are, but not a lot of them. I'm giving you the flesh of talking like a professional. And in this kind of a market, it's a bull, this is a bull day. And in general, the market is a bull market right now. Uh, despite what you might have heard, well, we're about to go into a recession. The earth is going to stop spinning. And all no, the markets are not in that mood at all right now. They're downright chipper, uh, which pisses me off. Like I said, I was seeing some signs of uh, uncertainty. But this is a strong, bold market. In that regard, notice that I taught, I didn't even look at the numbers themselves, I looked at the percentages. Percentages are all that matter in our world, in business in general. It's percentages, it's not absolute dollar numbers. If you say, well, our sales were up $10,000, well, that sounds good. Well, what, are, what were revenues? Well, 15 million, so $10,000 means nothing. You want the percentage change, and that's what we see right here is a percentage change in these uh, numbers. Uh, a, uh, again, and I repeat things over and over because that's the best way to get you to learn it in a more natural way. In uh, this case, uh, with notice the 330 and the 500. That tells you these are just indexes. 30 stocks, 500 stocks. They're not actual platforms of exchange. They're just a bunch of stocks. And, they, and there are many of these indexes. I mean, literally there are over, oh, probably over 10,000 of these indices out there. Uh, the famous ones are the Dow 30, the S&P 500. Another index that is, you see up there, the Russell 2000, the Wiltshires, PIMCO, Invesco, I mean, all these different uh, companies or brokerage houses or, or things like that to put together a theoretical portfolio and then they track it up and down. And that gives a measure of the movement of maybe a sector of the economy or something like that. But the NASDAQ is a full-blown exchange. It's an electronic exchange. A physical platform exchange would be the New York Stock Exchange. Those are big monster companies, uh, lots of them. And there literally is an exchange floor where there's the open cry. They're yelling at each other, buy and sell, and uh, trying to get deals done and all of that. And then another one is the American Stock Exchange, the Amex. Okay, and then uh, as far as others go, there are, there are other exchanges. There are regional exchanges. I mentioned the Philiax, Philadelphia Exchange. Those are out there too. Now, other countries have exchanges as well. A lot of times, it, it, they won't be called exchanges. They, the term that's oftentimes used, like especially in Europe, it's called a bourse, a B-O-U-R-S-E, a bourse. 
uh, and or it's an exchange, but that's their word for it. Uh, and you'll find there's uh, an exchange in London, an exchange in Tokyo, in Zurich, in Paris, uh, in Berlin. I mean, there, there, there's at least one, sometimes many, in almost every country on earth, there's an exchange. Now, some of them are highly active exchanges. New York Stock Exchange, uh, billions of shares are trading all the time. NASDAQ uh, is trading just r ridiculous numbers of shares. In um, other countries, like Nik the Tokyo Exchange, that's got enormous volume every day. Huge amounts of stocks being traded, bought and sold. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, London, the same thing. Paris, the same thing. Zurich. But you get into more of the second and third world countries. Most of them have exchanges, but they are very thin exchanges. For example, my work in Panama and in West Africa, there are exchanges there, but you might, a big day might be 10,000 shares trading, uh, and the exchange might have a total of 20 companies on it. It's a start, you know, they, and it's a place where buying and selling of securities can occur. So it's not to be trivialized, but just recognize that in an exchange like we have here in the United States or in the more developed world, there is no sentimentality. It's like an animal. And it's not something where you can find a formula that tells you where stocks are going to go. It doesn't work like that. All of these systems for uh, that these people or these uh, companies try to sell you, don't buy it. This is just all fighting back and forth, buyers and sellers. One piece of information for one trader might not be for another trader, or they might interpret them differently, and there would be this tug of war. And every day, the bulls can win or the bears can win. But in any given minute, it's ebbing and flowing both ways. It's like a battlefield where uh, for 10 minutes we're on, we're uh, taking control, and then 10 minutes later, they come in and they uh, drive us back. It's just like that, and it's pure greed. Now, my little skit yes, uh, on one Monday about the bread and greed, it is on pure display. There is no sentiment involved. Political opinions are irrelevant. The opinions of some entertainer don't matter a damn bit to this world. And it is just bouncing all over the place all the time. And the mechanisms behind the, behind the screens are even more complex. And if you think you have some system that tells you where things are going, you have no idea what's going on back there. Last year, I had one of my former students who's a trader in Chicago come down to, to give a speech before the Illinois State Students in Finance. And... There was a young man at our little pre, uh, before the meeting, little get together, and he was convinced he had these formulas. And he, he wouldn't listen to the, uh, my uh, former student who's a trader. He wouldn't listen to me trying to explain to him that is not what happens. 
here's the mechanics of the buys and sells, you can't replicate that with some cool formula that you've whipped up in Excel or in Python. It doesn't happen like that. But, you know, there will always be cults in every aspect of your life, and they will, not, they will be completely immune to the science. That's just the way it is. So we take their money. We're glad to have them come in and play with the big boys, and then we paddle them, spank them. They go away, and then they come back thinking, well, it was just an accident. I didn't win the last time. So uh, take your choice. You can either be one of the professionals who lay back, you're cool about this, or you can think that you've got the formulas for the answers to the universe. Your call, okay? Now, going over here, crude. Remember how I told you about that trading ban? Do you remember what I said, the trading? There was a kind of a trading ban going on right now with crude. Do you remember what that trading ban was I said on Monday? <laughs> nope. We're listening to you, fat boy. <laughs> That's okay. Don't worry. I said, right now, it seems to be in a band from about 72 to 82. Now, that's light, sweet Brent uh, crude. And it seems to want to bounce in there right now. And every day, it's moving up and down because of supply and demand dynamics. In our world, the past has no relevance whatsoever. You have to understand that that's one of the fundamental differences between accounting and finance. Accounting uses historical data. They have to. They have to have receipts, proof of the transaction. In our world, that has no meaning whatsoever. All that matters is what's going to happen next. What we expect is coming. Because if we worried about the past, well, then we would have already taken care of that in the price of the stock or the bond or whatever security, security it is. These markets aren't going to wait around a day, oh, 10 minutes, a day, 50 years to put information into the price. They're going to get the information and they're going to hit it right now. So the only thing we can trade on is what we expect to happen next. And they're essentially where a stock price is, where an index is, where an exchange is, at any given moment is the majority or the consensus uh, of what's going to happen next. So see those greens? Those have nothing to do with what happened yesterday. They are what we expect to happen next. Right now, the expectation is bullish. Tomorrow, maybe it's bearish. They are bouncing all over the place, just grabbing information like a bunch of rabbits looking for friends for the night. Uh, or, you know, the typical undergraduate hitting the bar scene and hoping to find score. Uh, something like that. You follow what I'm saying here? And this is one of the hardest things in the world is to say, stop looking at historical charts. They tell you nothing about what's about to happen. Famous story from a long, long time ago. <clears throat> Before we entered World War II, we were supplying the British with war material, food, and all that. Our merchant marine uh, fleet was. These are thousands and thousands of ships uh, that, that were going from uh, harbors in, on the East Coast over there to uh, Europe, to England. 
And the problem was that uh, the Germans had these little U-boats that were prowling, these little submarines that were prowling, and they were just popping off and killing off all these merchant marine uh, ships. Tens of thousands of those sailors died just getting sunk as they went across the Atlantic because their paths were linear across on, you know, on the shipping lane. Okay, so what they did was they created an algorithm that took stock prices as they were posted and told the uh, mariners, turn your ship, turn your ship, follow, our, follow the stock price. This way, that way. Well, eventually they'd end up where they belonged because it was a random walk or near where they belonged. But the Germans couldn't predict where they'd be. The highly powerful mathematicians of the uh, Third Reich had no way to figure out where a random point is going to be at the next moment. And so the merchant marines were able, to, uh, the ships were much less vulnerable to attack. And that's how random stock markets are. They don't follow predictions. But if you think they do, well, you probably can find a bunch of suckers who are going to buy your formula for where they're going to be next. But if you follow the science of it, it's classic physics of what we call Brownian motion, a random walk, which was first, that was in fact how the famous Albert Einstein got his Nobel Prize. It wasn't for relativity, it was for him figuring out the mathematics of random walks. Enough of that whining. Now let's go over here. I want to. Uh, I'm going to give you another term here in a minute. Now remember that the. See these ten-year bonds right here. That's yield. Now the yield has fallen. We measure yield uh, percentages. We don't really talk about with bonds in trading. We talk about basis points. One one hundredth of a percent is a basis point. So I can see that bonds have fallen, what is that, I can't, these screens, what do they think I am? Some kind of a Superman that can read a screen in microprint? They used to have these big screens, now they put these little dwarf screens in here. What, can't you afford a bigger monitor? Pisses me off, sorry, I, I get off on random tangents. Thir is that 13 hundreds of uh, 13 basis points? Is that what that says? Oh, sure, you can look at that. Oh, fine. Okay, uh, 13 basis points. So the yield has gone down. Now, again, as I said, yield and price are inversely related. It's a mathematical thing. You'll even see it. You'll calculate a price, and then you'll ca calculate a higher price, and then you'll see that the yield goes oh, down. So in this case, the yields are going down, so the prices are going up. Prices are going up in this case because investors are buying bonds. Well, interestingly enough, usually if investors are buying bonds, they're selling stocks. But today is unusual. We have bull market conditions in the equities, that's a fancy word for stocks, and you have bull conditions in the debt market as well. That's cool. In other words, this isn't just an up day. Investors are throwing money into all kinds of things today, stocks and bonds. So that tells you that this is sort of like a, a, a Super Bowl day. Now, over the last, well, even since last spring when I was showing the screens, 
uh, there was a lot of money that was not in the game. You could tell because trading on stocks was pretty thin, volume was low. And it looks like today we've got a day when, you know, there's money being pulled off the sidelines and being thrown into the market by the big dogs. Now I'll show you something over here. Let me, I'm gonna check this myself just to see. Now, this would be, average volume is how much has traded on the average day over the last year. So the Standard Poor's 500 index has traded, those 500 stocks, on average, on a given day, have traded about 4 billion shares. And today, so far today, well, that's actually still awfully thin. That traded 1.3. We still got about an hour or two left, maybe an hour and a half or something left. And that's still pretty thin trading. It's well below the average over the last 52 weeks. So there's still a lot of money on the sidelines here, not going anywhere. So, you know, where the money is being kept in what we call, they say money is being retained in cash, which would mean that the money is in like money markets or something like that. It's not willing to go, uh, the holders of that cash aren't willing to throw it into the markets right now. So there's still a lot of skittish, uh, from this, there's still a lot of skittishness out there. We're not sure we're in the clear. There were all these doomsayers that said we're heading for a recession. It's still, it's a possibility, but it's becoming more and more of a fading possibility that we'll have it. But still, you know, the big dogs seem to be keeping a lot of their money in cash for the time being, but that's their problem. That's their call right now. Okay, now, coming back here, real quick, gold and silver. Well, look at this, the gold bugs have been a little excited today, so money's even being thrown into gold. Now, a few months ago, gold broke an important neckline at $2,000 an ounce, but it backed off from that, it's well below that now. So even though the gold bugs look like they've bought some gold today, it's not enough for me to be impressed. Silver is up commodity. And then going over here, the 10-year bond, I did that. Now the euro has appreciated a little bit. Notice how the euro started the day appreciating, and then it plunged into depreciation, and it's climbed back out just barely into appreciation. Similarly, there was a plunge. I wonder what spooked the markets. About midday, the markets got spooked on currencies, but there's that. Okay, now, coming over here. Last night, the Tokyo Exchange. The Nikkei 225 is 225 important companies on the Tokyo Exchange. It was a bullish day over there. It wasn't a spectacularly bullish day, about up half a percent. But still, it was in positive territory, uh, ending above where it began. So there you go. Not bad. And then the sun rolled across the sky in Tokyo and set, and then as it set in Tokyo, it rose in Europe, and then when it got to London, notice that Tokyo ended on a, on a bull surge. Do you see that Tokyo, that bull surge there at the end of the Tokyo day? That seems to have carried across the continent, uh, Asia and Europe, and they were still carrying a bull uh, sentiment 
You see how the uh, London Exchange, those 100 companies on the London Exchange, started out surging upward. And then they took a bit of a breather. That's oftentimes we say that something like that is a little bit of profit taking. Okay, stocks went up. Let's sell some of those stocks before they go back down. That's, sometimes you'll see that kind of slide back. And then it began again. It kind of bobbled along after that profit taking. It ended on a little bit of an up note. And then the sun rolled across the sky in London and finished there and went across the Atlantic. And then it rose here. And as you can see, the bullish sentiment came over to this side of the world too. So we have more or less a global sentiment that is bullish today. What happens tomorrow is tomorrow's game. And I can't tell you which way it's going to be tomorrow. If I could, do you think I'd be sitting here teaching you? No, I'd be having boat drinks on a, on a beach in Cabo San Luca. But I can't, so I'm teaching youth, fortunately for you. So I can't tell you where it's going to be tomorrow. I can tell you that there will be some important events happening today, later today and tomorrow that will probably move the markets. Uh, there's a speech by the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve and the expectation is that he's not going to be harsh. He's going to be on an upbeat note. That's most of his bullish sentiment. But who knows, maybe he should, he's going to get up there and say the world is going to hell and then tomorrow's going to be a black swan. Now the term black swan, that is a very, very hard bear day. A black swan would be if you saw five, 10% drops in the market. We've had more black swans than we should in a way. In your lifetimes, one, maybe two black swans. Over the course of my life, I think I've seen seven black swans. They are those days when hell breaks loose. The markets drop ridiculously, pension funds are wiped out, people jump off buildings, and all that kind of stuff. And yes, they happen. And I'm gonna talk more about black swans here in a little while. What do you do in a black swan. What does the intelligent investor, the mature investor do in a black swan? Well, I'll give you a hint. The answer is nothing. Do not panic. That's how we were taught to be in, in combat units. You make the enemy panic because then when they panic, they scatter. They become what we call routed and then they're easy to pick off. The disciplined soldier, the disciplined investor, the disciplined professional in general doesn't dirty his or her diaper just because a big boo-boo happened. You just hold the line. It was very much like in the famous movie 300. The Spartans were so powerful for just that few of them because when the commander, King Leonidas, said Spartans hold, they held and the enemy couldn't crack a line of shields that wasn't going to run. That's what you do in investment as well. It's not sexy, it's not exciting, trade, buy, sell. It's just you hold and you keep your portfolio together. 
the last black swan that happened in 2008. Okay. The investors who sold out during the black swan took an average of, I believe it was eight years to recover fully from the loss. The investors who didn't budge, they were back in the game within two and a half to three years. They were back to where they'd been. That's how important it is to keep yourself together. Hold the line. And I'm gonna teach you a lot about that in this course. How you create portfolios and how you create portfolios that are what we call robust to black swans. How you create protections on your accounts so that even if the market does go down, you can actually not lose much at all. Maybe even make a little money. But it has nothing to do with buying and selling like some kind of scared bunny rabbit. <sighs> Enough of that, that bitching at you for the time being. I'm going to take you and show you a company just for a few minutes. That's part of the routine here and on a test. I will actually show you a screen of a company and I'll say, tell me what this means. Interpret, number by number, what you see. And at first when I show you these, that it'll, to the normal person, it's just, a, it's just an ocean of numbers. Only after you look at it and you begin to pick it apart point by point, do you begin to see that there's a story being told every day about every company that's publicly traded. Now, as far as st stocks go, I'm trying to think of one that I could, uh, uh, anyone got a suggestion? And if you say Tesla, I will eat your butt. No. Any? Well, okay, let's just do, ne let's Netflix and chill. Okay, one share of Netflix is right now, now understand I'm using Yahoo. I, I would actually use one of, a professional platform, but then you could see my account number, and if you think I trust you like that, you are wrong. I have to, Yahoo is delayed quotes, some of them are more delayed than others, even the numbers inside of a single screen. Some can be 10 minutes lag, others can be 30 minutes, it's just ridiculous. But it's about all I have unless I want, I tried to get my uh, brokerage house to figure out a way that I could hide my account and show it. And they gave me a couple of ways, but it didn't work. And I actually pulled up my account one day, and there was my account showing for everyone in the daggone class. So that didn't work out. Okay, now, Netflix. It, for one share, it would, the current price is $429.57. Now, something important about this number. This is a market price. This is not the intrinsic price. The intrinsic price is an underlying value that the company actually has. At any given moment or day, the market price can be overvaluing or undervaluing. It bounces up and down against that market price, against that intrinsic value. It has a tendency toward the intrinsic. That's what we do in our world. We don't look at the day-to-day. -day. We look at where the underlying value is. 
of a security. In the same way, uh, you, sir, you're my son. May God help you and me. Now, on any given day, I might be so proud of you, I have to keep from dampening my pants. And then other days, I'm going to call that you need bail money, for God's sake. But underneath that, I know that there is an intrinsic value of you that will appear over the long run. That's why most parents don't kill their children. It's because they somehow see that longer value. Not that I haven't planned it. No. Uh, but you understand that intrinsic value is underlying. That's what we care about in our world and with a corporation. Pissing yourself because you had a, a month of bad sales. You hold the line and you look toward that longer, out, that longer outlook. And in our world, we actually have the formulas to be able to figure out intrinsic value. Okay? That's what we do. And they are actually formulas. We didn't really invent these. These were mathematical formulas from centuries before we actually had something called finance. They were from the physics as it was developed from Newtonian mechanics. So these are mathematical, but on any given day, the markets don't care what we are thinking as the long haulers. They're trading on the minute, on the greed and the information of what is happening in the fire and shrapnel at the corner of Wall Street and poverty. So that's why that, that market price is going to be overvalued compared to the intrinsic or undervalued. And that's where sometimes we can make our play. And I can even show you some of the ways that you can kind of tell whether it's without doing the math, for God's sake. But you can kind of look at these screens and you can tell kind of whether a stock is over or undervalued compared to its intrinsic. And I'll show you that in just a minute here. But let me try, drag this down here. Now, the previous close was $413.17 a share. <coughs> and then <coughs> when the bell opened this morning, it opened at $418.40 uh, $418 a share. It, well, did it just magically pop sometime between 3.30 yesterday afternoon and, uh, what was it, 8.30 this morning? No, it actually didn't. Because there is a, another part of the market that is not in these screens. It's called the aftermarket and the pre-market. So in the aftermarket, I can put in orders to buy or sell. And in the pre-market, I can do that too. I'm running for a couple hours before and after, after and before markets open. So what happens is you would have had in this instance, there would have been an imbalance of buy against sell orders in the overnight and in the aftermarket and the pre-market. In other words, there would have been more investors wanting to buy stock than sell stock. So that when the market opened this morning, that imbalance was reflected in the price going up. More demand than supply, well, there you go. It popped a little bit. That's how this happens. It's just uh, through that 
activity in the overnight, in the aftermarket and the pre-market. And so it came up, it was a little up this morning, nothing spectacular. What was that? About, I can't read this damn screen. Five, that was about five dollars on 413. That's about five, uh, about one percent. A little more than one percent. It jumped uh, at the bell. And now, here is another thing. And I, I try not to waste a lot of your time. If I say I'm going to ask this on a quiz or an exam, I can pretty much guarantee you that, surprise, surprise, I'm going to ask it. Okay? See this bid and this ask? Right now, and these are delayed numbers, so, you know, it's just kind of hypothetical. If you wanted to buy a share of Netflix, it would cost you $430.17. If you wanted to sell a share of Netflix, you would get $430.01. That bid is what you would sell at. The ask is what you buy at. Well, why would those be different? This is the brokers, this is how they make their money. Off the bid ask spread. I'll buy your stock at a cheaper price than I'll sell it for. That's how it's done. I mean, you know, we've got to make money. Now, this bid ask spread can be very tight. You, sometimes you'll see a bid ask spread that's no more than a couple of pennies. Sometimes it'll be a pretty wide bid ask spread. That usually has, that has a lot to do with how much volume there is. If there's a lot of trading on a stock, the bid-ask spread is going to tighten because I don't have to make as much money off each trade as a broker. But if there isn't much trading, then I'm going to, the bid-ask spread is going to have to be wide to get me interested in doing, uh, taking bids and uh, buy and sell orders. So in a case like this, this is actually a very tight bid-ask spread compared to the price of it. That's 11 cent bid-ask spread on a $430 stock. So it's relatively tight, but it's going to be there on any stock, a bid-ask spread. Notice that if you bought a share of Netflix right now, you would immediately, instantly be in the hole 11 cents. Because if you bought it and then instantly decided, oh God, I, didn't do, I don't want to do that, and sold it, you would sell it for 11 cents less, cents less than you bought it for. So you're always on uh, climbing out of a hole the minute you buy a security. And all securities work this way. Stocks, bonds, uh, derivatives like options, futures, even currencies have bid-ask spreads, for heaven's sakes. In my international finance class, I show them, look at the bid-ask spreads. If you've got famous currencies like the euro, the dollar, the yen, the bid-ask spreads are very tight because there's a lot of trading in those currencies. But when you go to second world currencies, those bid-ask spreads can be insane. I, I pulled up one, I can't remember what, what country it was. The bid-ask spread, I think it was like, uh, the bid-ask spread was like, it was, the bid was four cents, the ask was 12 cents. So the bid-ask spread was more than the cost of the, of the currency itself, for heaven's sakes. Okay, now, down here, day's range. This is how far it's bounced today. 
get off me. There. See this? That's how low it went today. That's how high it went today. So in other words, that 4.1788 was probably right at that little trough right there. The 4.3702 was probably up here at this peak somewhere. These are kind of grainy, so you won't get the actual perfect peak on these small charts. But that's what that means. Now the 52-week is how much it has swung over the last year. So if I looked at the one year, probably there it was at about $211.73. Now its peak was up there at 485 on the button. So over the last year. Now tell me, as right now, is Netflix closer to its 52-week low or to its 52-week high? Can you see it? Just what? Go ahead. The high. Yeah. See, it's closer to it's it's made it up as far as 485. <coughs> Excuse me. It's been as low as 211 uh, and change. So right now it is hot, closer. See. Right here is where we are right now. See how it's closer to its 52-week high right now? Good. You got, that, that, that's all there really is to this. And what does this mean? Well, some traders would say, you know, we need to watch it because it has sort of like a high point that it has made. And we're going to see if it tests that high point in the next, like, let's say, two two to four weeks. Now there's an old rule, and this is technical, and I'm not a big fan of technicals of any kind, but there's an old rule that, there's an old rule that says if it tests the uh, top three times, or tests the bottom three times, and it fails to cross it, that is get out of the way. Get out of it. If it, but it's, so in other words here, I know a lot of traders who are going to be watching that 185 and they're going to see if it gets close to it, if it punches through it, or if it gets close to it and it chickens out. If it chickens out three times going toward 185 and it doesn't punch it, that means you, get, you need to get out of Netflix right now. At least shave your holdings of it. Because it tried to get through this barrier three times and it didn't do it. In the same way that, uh, for example, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, you, madam, are a broad jumper. You're, you're a pole vaulter. Now, you're, the highest you ever got was 20 feet. Now, we've tried to get you to 20 feet. Once, you missed. Twice, you missed. And three times, you missed. Okay, there goes your sponsorship. <laughs> But if you make it on, let's say, the second or the third try, well, that's the new testing line for you. And it means that it's probably going to stay above that and go better. Okay? So it's kind of one of those, we call the technical analysts ELVES, E-L-V-E-S. It's an elfin rule, and 
does it work? Well, kind of actually, it kind of sometimes does. And so I, I tell you uh, one of these technical rules if I've actually seen it work once in a while. And so, but don't think it's a guarantee by any means. And also, I should have mentioned this before, never take investment advice from me. I guarantee you, you will lose your ass, okay? Just like I do most of the, most of the time. Sometimes I win. Uh, but okay, now let me go over here. Look at this. We are not at the close today yet. We have a few minutes left. Notice that its volume for today is almost its volume, average volume over the last uh, year on a daily volume over the last year. So in other words, this is fairly actively traded today. What does that mean? Probably there is some information that some traders have got about Netflix that has made them do more than what everyone else is doing with every other stock today. Notice that the trading over all stock, or at least the S&P 500, was really thin today. Netflix is a lot stronger than that. Uh, so. You know what that means. You know, take it for what it's worth. It's a bull market, and 3.69% up. That's strong. That's a hell of a day. If you see anything down or up more, less than a quarter percent, 0.3, that's meaningless. That's really not telling you anything. It's only if it has some kind of clear message, and this is clearly two, a three and two thirds percent rise. That's very bullish. There is a lot of bullish sentiment on Netflix today. So take that for what it's worth. Okay. Now, market cap. The market cap, and I'll give you the formula, but don't, don't write it down yet. Market cap, you take the number of shares of this, com of this company that are outstanding, common stock shares, and then you uh, multiply that by the price per share. That is the market's current assessment of the total value of the stockholder's equity. The value of the ownership of Netflix is $109.90 billion. That's the market's assessment of the total equity value. Now let me show you something, and again, you do not need to write down, I'm going to go to the SEC and I'm going to see the latest filings for Netflix, what the accountants in the, in the financial filings, NFLX, I'm going to go over here and take a quick look at the 10K, their last annual filing. And I'm going to show you, this is actually some very cool stuff for getting data and I'll make a lot of noise about later. Financial statements. I'm going to look at the balance sheet. For heaven's sake, can, can't they just say balance sheet? There. Now going down here, the accountants are saying that the total value of the equity is $20.8 billion. The accountants are saying that the total value of ownership is $20.8 billion. The market is saying that the total value is $190.4 billion. Do you notice a little difference? They're both reporting the same thing. The total value of ownership. 
The accountants are saying it's $20.8 billion. The market is saying it's $190.4 billion. You notice a little discrepancy there? Just a little one. First question I would ask you, if you bought a share of Netflix, would you buy it from a broker or would you buy it from an accountant working for the company? Come on, which would you do? Would you buy a share of stock from a broker or from the company? Uh, yeah. I'd buy from the company. They'd say, what the hell do you mean? I can't sell you stock. You buy from brokers. Yeah, you buy from brokers. Market participants. The second thing is, let's go back to you, madam. And now, now that you're giving me one wrong answer. Okay. You decide you're going to take a tour of a safari in the Serengeti of Africa. Now, you've got your field guide to aminals of the, of the uh, Serengeti. And you look up, and here's a lion coming at you. And you look at your field guide. Lions are not dangerous to people. In fact, they love people. They will cuddle with you, purr, and they make wonderful house pets. And then you look up and here's the lion. I shall eat your loin. Which do you believe? The data of the market coming at you with A1 steak sauce or this field guide to animals? Yeah, yeah. You see, we are the field. We're where it happens. And, that's, and the field guide is where the accountants write their stuff. And why can they do that? Because they are not foolish enough to go out there and find out that a lion actually likes to eat people. Well, they're right, it likes people, but it likes them for dinner. So uh, that's why we can't care about what the accountants say. We, I, and I, I'm always getting criticized by the accounting department. You're taking, you're disrespecting us. Yes, I, no, no, I'm not. I, I mean, I tell jokes and then they get back to the accounting, you know, the joke about, you know, why do accountants walk in groups of three? Well, one reads, one writes, and the other keeps an eye on the two intellectuals. Uh, or what's, what do you have when you have a bus half full of accountants go over a cliff, a waste of half the seats? Uh, uh, where the hell was I? Okay, enough of this. Look here, beta. You will know so much about beta that you will want to get it as your next tattoo. I mean, you can't go wrong getting a tat that has beta on it. That's just big beta. And do you know why? Because someday, young man, you will be in an alley in the bad part of town. And you'll hear footsteps behind you. And there will be a lot of them. And you will turn around and you'll see that it is the finance gang. And they're going to pin you against the wall and they say, show us your colors. And if you pull up a beta, you're down with them. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Don't do that. Okay, really, really. They'll still beat the crap out of you. <laughs> the hell was I? Okay, look here. Betas above one. 
1.00 is the world portfolio risk. Anything above that is riskier than the world portfolio, which is our benchmark. So in other words, when I see a 1.29, that, that stock would have, in a well-diversified portfolio, about 129% of the volatility of the world portfolio. It swings more up and down. If it's below one, well, that means that it is less risky than the world portfolio. Like a beta 0.8 on a stock, that would tell me that in a well-diversified portfolio, that stock swings only about 80% as much as the world portfolio. So if you're a risk-taking investor, you would go for the high beta stocks. If you are a conservative investor, you would go for stocks that are below one. This is the classic measure. See, in overall, in science, the measure of volatility is the standard deviation. But in our world, we peel out a piece of that, the piece that matters to investments. That piece that we pull out is beta. The rest of the standard deviation is something that we could get rid of. We have the tools to make that go away. Now, see this P-E ratio, price to earnings. In other words, how, much, how many dollars are investors currently willing to pay for one dollar of current earnings? 44.80 basically tells us that investors are currently thinking that one dollar of earnings will become $44.80 for the stock investors. That's what it says. Now, there's kind of like a fuzzy benchmark. And you'll hear different finance uh, professionals give you different numbers. The one that I always use is about 30. A stock that has a price-earnings ratio above 30 tells me that the price is overvalued. Below 30 tells me that the price is undervalued. So if I'm looking at this, I see 44.80. I see overvaluation. Not severe, but there is overvaluation. In other words, the price divided by the earnings, the price part is higher than it probably will be over the intrinsic value. It's something to think about. Let me show you another stock real quick here. Tesla. <laughs> Look at the beta. Is that a pussycat stock? No. If that thing had a saddle, you'd be in a rodeo. And look at that price-earnings ratio. Technically, we say that this is overvalued AF. Yeah, of course it is. That company has, you're going to see later in this course, the company has extraordinarily bad infra numbers, and it's overvalued. And of course, it will stay overvalued. You can't beat it. Well, I should sell my test. No, that's not what we're saying at all. It's going to stay overvalued as long as all those brokers 
in, on Wall Street, as long as all of those foreign rich investors keep it overvalued. They can't afford to let that damn thing fall because they'd lose their, we'd have a collapse of some of the houses on Wall Street. They've thrown so much into it, they can't afford to let that company fail. So that it's going to stay overvalued. That's fundamental analysis. Yeah, it's overvalued. I'm not going to do a damn thing about it right now, and I can't. I'm not going to bet on it going down toward its intrinsic value because there are forces that are going to keep it overvalued for the foreseeable future. So go ahead. Keep investing in that pothead. Uh, anyway. Okay. Notice Tesla doesn't pay a dividend. If it paid a dividend, it would be listed there, but it doesn't pay a dividend. Okay, anyway, going back to Netflix. S somewhat riskier than the market, somewhat overvalued. It does not pay a dividend, interestingly enough. And that's, there are only two ways you make money off a stock. You make money off the stock price going up, and you also make money if they pay a dividend to their shareholders. One more, just very quickly. Target. Excuse me, Target. Target. Okay. Notice that Target has taken in a butt bath. Here, oh, the market is closed. This is aftermarket. See that number there? That's aftermarket. Looks like a few bargain hunters have jumped in. Target fell for the day, but in the aftermarket, there's some buyers, more buyers and sellers. Uh, in other words, it, we call those bargain hunters. Well, it looks like it kind of fell too much today, so maybe I can grab a few shares right now. Notice that it is just about as risky as the world portfolio, close to one. But look at that P.E. ratio. That's undervalued. Target is undervalued right now, as far as I can see. So in other words, that for me is a mild buy signal on the stock. Now, is Target profitable? Look here, earnings per share. Oh God, that is a very profitable company. In other words, every, the, you take the, the total earnings divided by the number of shares outstanding, $7.28. That's a darn good. Hell, I wish I could do that someday with my company. Now, notice, interestingly enough, Target pays a dividend, $4.34. That's coming out of earnings. So if you look at it closely, they pay more than half of what they earn back. They give it back to the shareholders. That's, so in other words, this is like a good fixed income for someone who would want they don't care about the stock price rising. They just want to check every year or every quarter. And Target seems uh, pays more than half of its earnings. It gives back to the shareholders. The other thing it can do with earnings is plow it back into the company for the shareholders to drive up the stock price, hopefully. But here, they give more than half of it back to their shareholders and say, here, you do something with it. So, in other words, this is a more a safer company just because even if the stock price doesn't do something, at least you're getting a dividend check off it. So that's a nice thing about this. Uh, okay, that's that. Now, I am assuming 
that you at some point had some exposure to what we uh, to different forms of business organization. I'm trying to think. Business 100 should have shown it to me, and I teach one section when they when they are not when when they can't find anyone else because apparently I scare the freshmen. I don't know how or why, but when, in my section, and this should be true in all, there are th three forms, big forms of business organization. And I don't talk too much about LLCs because they are so misused these days. Uh, let me think. Looking around the room here, Oh, let's try this. You, sir, you decide you're going to start mowing lawns. And, you know, you, just, just you, your company. And you go around and you mow lawns. And, you know, it's your money in the game, all your, your skin in the game, and it's a good life for you. And that is called a sole proprietorship. There's no formal organization of it. You don't have to file any preliminary paperwork with the government. Now, you still have to report the income on your taxes, and I'll talk about that later. But as a, it's just you. So one thing about it is that when you die, your, your company dies. It is just you. It is not something else. It is just you. So that, that's a, well, yeah, you can take pride in that. And you can even use a fictitious name, um, file it with the state, of, the state of Illinois, and they, they, there's a process, and they can give you exclusive rights to a name. It's called an assumed name or a fictitious name. As a matter of fact, over the years, I've created more than a few companies that were just me, but I used a fictitious name, so it sounded more important. You'll notice that in, my, um, uh, in some of the work that you would run into of mine on the internet, there is a, something called Dark Wraith Publishing. And that was just a sole proprietorship with a fictitious name that was legally registered for that purpose. And so when checks were written, they could be written to Dark Wraith Publishing and it would come to my, I could put it into my bank account with the proper credentials with my bank. Okay, th this is great, but the problem is that suppose someday you're, you take care of lawns of very rich people and you're driving along, you have your white sticks in your ears, living the dream, and you accidentally drive over some lady's very expensive poodle. Yeah, that dog, not only is that dog going to be pissed at you because you gave that dog a show dog trim, you're going to be sued and they will take your stuff, your personal stuff. That dog was worth $10,000. Really? $10,000 for a dog? I mean, I can find a dog down the street. Just give him treats that his owner won't give him and he'll be mine. But I, here's the thing though is, they will take your mower, they'll take your 1969 Ford pickup truck, and they will then, that won't be enough, so they'll go into your house and they will take your velvet Elvis paintings, and they will take your collection of Star Wars toys, and then if they still don't have enough, they will say, we're going to take your ass. But, but, uh, 
They will shoot your dog, sell your Bible on Craigslist, and make your parents wear furry costumes that they like. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with furries. It's not what you think. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. And don't ask me how they wear the tail. I warned you. You could have changed sections if you'd wanted to. <laughs> where, where, oh, okay. Well, okay, I'm going to join forces with my friend. And we'll make a partnership. Well, that's a little more formal because you have to file a statement of partnership with the state of Illinois. But it's still, it's just you two, or you three. So whatever mistake she makes, you've made as much. You and she are jointly and severally liable, all at risk. That's how bad it is. And so, and also, something most people don't know, if you die, not that you're going to die, but you need to eat more, bro. Okay. <laughs> The partnership is gone. Well, I know partnerships that are 150 years old. No, they're not. In the formation agreement, what happens is that when one of the partners dies, the partnership instantly rolls over to a new partnership of the same name. And it looks to the outside world like nothing happened. Okay? That's the partnership. Now, the pinnacle of this was what is called the corporation. And we have documents about corporations going back clear to feudal Japan. The concept has been around. And it became formalized in, in the 18th century. Now, I'll tell you. Let me tell you a story of my own company, the, my company, Emergent Light Studio. That was just a fictitious name. It was a DBA a doing business ads. And I did my work as a photographer back then, uh, different kinds of gigs, product, glamour, whatever, portraits. But then I changed that. I filed articles of incorporation. This is the, what is the formal name? Where is it located? Who is, who do you have who will receive uh, legal documents? What's that address? What you're going to do? How many shares of stock you could sell or give? And when that happens, if they say you met our requirements for whatever state you're incorporating in, you get a, essentially, it is a certificate saying this is a corporation. It then, at that instant, becomes a separate entity from its owners. It's responsible for its own bills. It's responsible for its own earnings and everything. You are no longer that company. It is exactly like what happens when a child is born. The birth certificate comes as a recognition of the legal independence, legal uh, separation of the child from the parents even though they have the duty to take care of it for a long time now the second step is once you get that 
the articles are qualified by the state, you file a form with the federal government to get an FEIN, a Federal Employer Identification Number. It's just like the Social Security number for a person. Every time I have to file some document with some government authority about a cor my corporation, I have to list its FEIN. That, in other words, I have to give it the company's Social Security number, not mine. I, have, I am not responsible for that company anymore. It is that corporation is its own entity under the law, separate from anyone who owns it. Now, as far as articles go, you, corporations are state entities. You don't ask the government to qualify, the federal government. Now, the government, federal government is where, where you get your federal employer identification number, the FEIN, but they are state entities. So my company, Emergent Light Studio, is a domestic corporation in Illinois. In every other state, it is a foreign corporation. So when I go to uh, St. Louis to do an exhibition, I'm not going to St. Louis. Emergent Light Studio is, and I am its representative. And I am a foreign corporation selling products or services in uh, Missouri. That's how it works. Now, there are some states that are better for starting corporations than others. Illinois actually doesn't suck. It's, I, it, it was a very clean process. As a matter of fact, I did the whole process with a Business 100 class in 2012. I said, watch, we're going to do it together. And it, it, it was sort of one of those, this is what happens when you take it seriously and you step to that level. Uh, as a matter of fact, when you give it to the corporation, Emergent Light Studio, they say, what is the um, appending uh, word? Is it INC? Is it incorporated? Is it co? Is it company? Is it LTD? Is it limited? You have to decide. And I let my students vote on what it was. I regret that I did that. They decided on INC, period. So it's Emergent Light Studio, Inc. Now, if I call it Emergent Light Studio, that's not right. Except it is because I got a trademark on Emergent Light Studio. So I can use it, and it's federally protected. There's a short rundown. That's all I have for you today. I thank you.